can we just pause a second and just do a little bit of reflection? <laughs> um, a lot of us uh, are parents, and we have, we have kids who go to church. And the scary reflection is that maybe one day they will talk about their time at CLC. And they'll be like, yeah, I went to church. My parents took me to church, and I totally didn't get it, you know. And I might listen to, like, the pastor speaking. And by the way, in this scenario, who's like the long-winded pastor? It's me, right? Okay, I don't like this reflection, but, but, but maybe that's going to happen, and I wasn't getting it, right? Maybe there are people here in this room, and just like, I go to church, you know, I, I, uh, it's keeping the rules, and you're getting it, but you're not really getting it. You're, you're not really excited about it. And maybe you can relate to how I was feeling when I was 12, you know? I'm not really getting it. It doesn't really make sense to me. Well, something happened to me. I was just kind of doing my thing, going to church. I had no intention of being a pastor. That was like the last thing I would ever want to do. Something happened. Uh, there was two men who came to speak to our youth. And their, their names were Steve and Arnold. And they came to talk to us, and uh, they opened the Bible, just like we normally do, and they taught from the scriptures, but there was something different. And I, when I think back about it, maybe it was their stories. They told these amazing stories, like, to this day, like, uh, I still remember one of the stories. Steve told a story where he hadn't taken his wife on a date night for a very long time. Okay, listen, at this point, let's reflect. Am I preaching yet? Am I preaching yet? Okay, no. Um, he hadn't taken his wife on a date for a very long time, and so he was praying. And he said, God, I haven't taken Roxy out for a very long time. Can I have permission to take her out? And God said, go for it. And so he took his wife out on a date. Like, but not like to Taco Bell, okay? He took her to a really nice steak restaurant, okay? Now, there's one problem with this scenario. The big problem with this scenario is that he didn't have any money. He didn't have a credit card. He had zero cash. I've told this story before. My mom hates this story. It's so irresponsible, but that's what he did. <laughs> that's what he did. He was at this restaurant eating steak, enjoying conversation with his wife. He had no money. And he was there just because God said, go for it. So he was like, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to have a steak dinner. <laughs> he went for it. So he's sitting there. He doesn't know how the money is going to come. He's there on faith. And then he orders dessert. And then after dessert, there's this person who comes into the restaurant, recognizes Steve, gives Steve $50, and says, God told me to give you this money. Now, you've got to understand, at age 14, when I'm hearing this story, I'm blown away. Because I've heard stories like this in the Bible, but I didn't know that this actually, like, people were really living this out. They seem to, story after story, conversation after conversation, have this dynamic relationship with God. And I'd never seen that before. And I was 14 years old, and I knew I was looking for something all my life, and I was like, oh, man, I'm missing what they got. And I want what they have. So they, they led in like the, you know, a prayer to receive Jesus, and I was there, and I prayed the prayer, and then something I've never experienced before happened. It was very, very, uh, uh, ex it was an experience, it was mysterious, 
it's still hard for me to describe, but it was very supernatural. And I can honestly say, like right here, right now, at that moment, my life totally changed. Like I, at that moment, my, my life just went on a whole new direction, and I have not been the same person since. Now, what we're talking about this morning is this mysterious thing that happened to me, which happens to be the very thing that Jesus is talking about in this passage, which Eileen read. It's this same sort of thing. I'm going to call it thing right now, okay? And here's my conviction. The number one thing that our church needs is the very thing that Jesus is talking about in this passage. The number one thing that our church needs. In fact, if you know someone that you love who doesn't have a relationship with Christ and you've been doing everything you reasonably can, you don't want to force it, I would say that this friend of yours, this loved one of yours, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your children, this thing that happened to me is the very same thing that they desperately, desperately need. And right here in this passage, this is what Jesus is talking about. I have a feeling that there are a lot of people in this room who are living their Christian life on their own resources. And right now, your honest confession is that it's not really exciting, it's not really working for you, but you're just kind of, you're just kind of doing it. I would say the number one thing you desperately need is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Now, what is Jesus talking about this passage? About being born again. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to go through these eight verses, all right? Now, what I want to do is I want to explain these eight verses. I mean, uh, I, 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 we can't go through this without me letting the Scripture speak for itself. So I'm going to explain the eight verses, and I need you guys to track with me because sometimes it might get kind of complicated. I'm going to go through it quickly. So uh, I need you for the next eight minutes to give me all your attention, okay? Can you guys do that? Okay. Hold on, you guys didn't hear what I just said. Um, for the next eight minutes, I need you guys to, to fully give me your attention, okay? I'm going to check in with you and say, hey, are you with me? And even if you're not with me, just say, yes, I'm with you, Pastor Andrew. Can you do that? Yeah. Okay, okay, we're going to go, and we'll go through the scripture faithfully. I'm going to try to teach it as best as I can and explain it. Okay, here we go. Uh, verse 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, I said this two weeks ago, okay? Uh, uh, the gospel writer, John, he is not trying to put together a comprehensive gospel. That's already been put together by Matthew. It's already been put together by Luke. He is really choosing his examples and his conversations very, very uh, intentionally because he's trying to bring out a point. So when you read about Nicodemus, you're wondering, why does he choose this conversation with Nicodemus? What does Nicodemus represent? Okay, now let me tell you, he represents something I can describe in two words. Old religion. That is what Nicodemus uh, uh, represents. He was a Pharisee, not just a Pharisee, but a ruler of the Jews. Big time teacher. Even Jesus calls him Israel's teacher. Okay, now what would a good Pharisee teach? Observe the laws and the traditions of the elders. Now, what does that sound like? How I would describe my faith at age 12, you know? Um, uh, believe in God and follow all of his rules, right? Same sort of thing. So what does Nicodemus represent? 
old religion. Let me hear you guys say old religion. A lot of people in church think the same way. What does it mean to be a Christian? Believe in God, go to church, try to live a moral life, die, and go to heaven. Old religion. Okay, this is super relevant to a lot of people here. Like if you're here today and you're not necessarily excited about this dynamic relationship you have with God, uh, maybe it's because you're believing in old religion. And old religion is not supposed to be exciting. Jesus is about to blow Nicodemus's mind, okay? And the good news is that if you're here and you're in old religion, God has a much better plan for you. Something far richer than just following all the rules, okay? Verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night, and he gives Jesus a very flattering hello, okay? Now, Jesus is like, okay, let's just cut to the chase. He knows what Nicodemus wants. What does Nicodemus want more than anything? He wants to know the way to life. That's what he teaches about, the way to life. So Jesus is like, you want to know the way to life? Let's just get right to the point. Verse 3, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, I love it when Jesus speaks like that. Old school version of that is, verily, verily, I say to you. Okay, the new school version of that, like what you might say to a friend. Like, let's say you have a friend, and this friend thinks that he is like God's gift to all women, right? Or let's say, let's say you have a friend, and this friend is caught in addiction and totally in denial. And you would say, hey, hey listen, um, broke... Can I just be honest with you, right? You would say something like that. Now, what do you mean when you say something like that? You're saying, look, what I'm about to tell you is going to hurt, but you really, really need to hear this. Okay, Jesus is dropping one of those, can I be honest with you? Can I be honest with you? He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Those be strong words, unless, cannot. The positive version is you must You absolutely need this. Need what? To be born again. Okay, now what I'm going to do next is I'm going to ask a question, not answer it, and come back to it later on, okay? What's the question? The driving question is, what does Jesus mean when he says born again? What does he mean? What is he trying to get at when he says born again? What does that mean? I'm not answering that right now. I'm going to come back to it and move on. Let's go ahead and move on. Let's go to verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Now, what's going on? I thought Nicodemus was smart. I thought he was Israel's teacher. Does he not understand that Jesus is being metaphorical? Maybe Nicodemus is just like, okay, Jesus, I get what you're saying. I'm just going to go along with your, uh, with your wording. I'm just going to play along. And basically, if you believe that, then what he's saying is a man or a woman is basically a sum of their past. What you're asking for me right here to start over again, I can't. Because look at me. I'm old. You expect this from me? I'm an old man. Verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you. Oh, my goodness. He dropped it again. Two truly, trulys. Right? Now, I looked at this. He, 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 he was talking to the Samaritan woman. Not one truly, truly. He was Jesus water with wine. Not, But Nicodemus gets two. Actually, you're going to see he gets three. But look, he gets two truly, trulys. Truly, truly what? I say to you, unless he is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is what I'm going to do. This is really complex. I'm going to oversimplify it. All right? I, I, I got to because we don't have enough time. Now, I picked up this, this commentary by Leon Morris. Wrote the best commentary on John that's probably out there. And this was his interpretation. What does water mean? 
Water can mean three things. It could mean, number one, purification, number two, procreation, number three, it could mean baptism. Okay, Leon Morrison says the best interpretation is number two, and, and, and here's the reason why. If you look at ancient texts, water is likened to, and I know this is not necessarily um, polite to say in church, it's, it's, it's likened to semen, okay? Male semen, okay? Water, and, and basically you put it together, spiritual seed. Okay, so now let's read this with spiritual seed. Truly, truly, I said to you, unless one is born of spiritual seed and life-giving spirit. Basically, Jesus is saying the same thing two different ways, okay? But the undeniable clarity that he's offering is what he explains in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is what? Oh, okay, so now he's clarifying. We're talking about rebirth that's spiritual. Okay, you guys with me? Here's me checking in. You guys with me? Okay. Is the, is the person next to you with me? Yes? Okay. Okay, let's keep on going. Okay. So Jesus is clarifying. He's saying it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual birth. It's a supernatural phenomenon. This ain't ordinary. Can you turn to someone next to you and say, this ain't ordinary? You can point to yourself. And that person probably is agreeing with you. Okay, verse 7. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Okay, now how many times has Jesus said born again? Three. This is undeniably the main idea of this passage. Three times. Unless you are born again, unless you are born of water and spirit, you must be born again. Three times. This is the main idea. So you're driving home today. Someone goes, hey, what did Pastor Andrew talk about? You're going to say, you must be born again. What is Jesus getting at? You must be born again. What's the message you need to hear? You must be born again. Okay, let's do verse 8, and then we're going to get back at that question. What does that mean? The wind blows wherever it wishes. Okay, hold on. The wind blows. Where does it blow? Wherever it wishes. Who's in control? Someone said God. Where do you see that in the passage? Oh, yeah, it is God. The wind is in control. Who's not in control? You. Okay. <laughs> the wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound. That means you get to experience it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. Clearly, you are not in control. Now, what's the point here? The point is being born again. I think this is a secondary point. The point is being born again is something you can experience and receive but it's not something that you can control or achieve. Wow, that's pretty good. Rhyme too, huh? That took me two hours to come up with. Enjoy that one, okay? Being born again is not something you can uh, control and achieve. It's something you can experience and receive. Okay, we go, okay. Okay, so the driving, the driving point is you must be born again. Jesus says it in three different ways. So if that's the driving idea, then the culminating question to me is, Jesus, what do you mean when you say born again? Okay, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and give them your, put on your theological cap, and give them your best interpretation of what it means to be born again. This is the driving idea, okay? So get together in, into a pair and talk. Okay, I'm going to give you like a minute, okay? 30 seconds each per person. 
and then we come back together again. What does it mean to be born again? Okay. <clears throat> okay, let's, let's bring it together. I want to give you my definition, but I would like to give, ask for permission to give you my long-winded version, okay? Can we, can we do that? Now, this is part of the reason why. Part of the reason why is the more I read the Gospel of John, the more I'm seeing that Jesus is communicating more through the visual than maybe the actual words. Now, I'll give you an example of this. Last week, Calvin talked about water into wine. Those are really powerful images. Did Jesus stop and explain it? Not really. All you're left with is the image. Now, that's a really powerful image. And I'm starting to see that in every chapter, there is this amazing visual imagery, and that's supposed to communicate even more sometimes than the actual words. Okay, so what's the, what's the visual imagery in chapter 3? Undoubtedly, it's being born again. So what I want to do is give you a very painful and hopefully unforgettable description of the birthing process, okay? I even brought pictures. No, 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 don't worry. My wife said, none of them better have me on them. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I understand that. I understand that. So, so there it is, okay? Okay, stage, stage 1A to the left, stage 1B to the right. Okay, now, now what I want to do is I want, I want to actually fill it in with my own story, you know, our own story. So what happened on September uh, 19, 2006, <laughs> I was about to go to bed. So I pull up the covers. I, I twist it over just to give my wife uh, a kiss and that kiss was so powerful <laughs> that it broke her water. That was all me. That was all me. Wasn't even a movie kiss. Wasn't a movie kiss. No open mouth. It was just a peck and boom. It happened. Okay, so now we were in stage 1A. And, and Raina's body was going through these contractions. I don't, I don't most Young people don't know what that is. Um, it's, it's when the womb tightens up, and it's tightening up because it's squeezing out the baby, okay? So it, the womb's like this muscle is squeezing out the baby, okay? So, <coughs> so the, the contractions were coming. They were coming stronger, and they were being more intense, and so we went to the hospital, okay? And so we were in 1A. Now, here's the thing. I was watching my wife go through the contractions, and I was seeing her writhe in pain. No, I'm a, I'm a guy. I want to, like, help. I want to do something. I want to be part of the process. So I didn't know what to do, and I'm, I'm a preacher. So I said, hey, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Are you okay? Can I get you something? Maybe you can describe what you're feeling. I can write it down, and then we can reflect on this moment. And somewhere from deep within my wife came this voice, and it, it, she said, can you please be quiet? <laughs> It was like that. It was like that. And I'm like, I can be quiet. I can be quiet. Watch me be quiet. I'm going to be quiet because that's going to help you. I'm going to be quiet right now. Starting soon. I'm going to be quiet. If you can first just tell me how you're feeling. Okay. And then 
we came prepared. We had a medication plan. I don't know if you, you know this, but you should come up with a plan. And we came up with a plan. And here is the plan, you know, because we're very natural. And so we thought, we're going to do, we, we are open to epidural. You guys know what epidural is. We're open to it as last resort. Okay, that was the first and only time we had this plan. First and only time, okay? The pain was so great. The second time, the third time, the plan was epidural now, you know? Like, Reyna's first line to the doctor was, get it in me, put it in, put it in me, right? Epidural now. But we didn't know that the pain was going to be like that. And it was like that. Now, now I went online so that I could hear how women would describe the pain. One woman described the pain like this. It is like the worst gas pain you've ever had. Combined with someone stabbing you in the stomach. <laughs> Many women describe it as the worst pain they've ever experienced in their entire lives. Like you are being torn apart on the inside. One poetically put it like, it was the most intense thing because you feel like you're dying to give life. Very poetic, huh? Well, finally, after 23 hours, we went to stage two. Okay, stage three is not that sexy. So I'm just going to tell you what stage three is. It's when you birth the placenta. Okay, okay, whatever. We care more about the baby. Stage two. Okay, stage two came. And this is where you get to push. Now, I've heard stories from some of you. It's like, oh, yeah, it was no problem. I took three pushes and the baby was out. Yeah, good for you. We took three hours, okay? Three hours of Raina and I pushing. Yes, I was part of it because, again, I wanted to be part of something. So, so when the contractions came, I was like, let's do this. Breathe in. <gasps> Breathe out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Breathe in. <gasps> Breathe out. <gasps> One, two, three. Yes, I know that's annoying. You wouldn't want me as your husband. But that's what Raina got, okay? Raina got that, and it was helpful. It was helpful, right? It was helpful. And we birthed the baby together. And, and actually, the nurse said she's never seen a husband try to be so much part of the birthing process before. It's like, wow, I've never seen that before. That's interesting. I started to dedicate each contraction to someone who knew, you know. Like this one for Pastor Calvin. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, after three hours of the most painful experience in her life, my dear brave wife pushed out our first son with a power I did not know that she had. And our son was born. Thank you. Thank you. I know you're clapping for me. Raina gets some of the credit too. Now, now listen, when Jesus said you must be born again, what did he mean by that? Some of you who are, um, are, uh, see the connections more clearly realize that there is no connection. You're like, Pastor Andrew, you've told the wrong story. Right? It's not the birthing process from my perspective. When Jesus says you must be born again, who's the baby? You're the baby. I'm the baby. I told the wrong story. No, let's try the same story again, okay? Have you ever heard of the story from the perspective of the baby? Right? That's the story that really Jesus is getting at. Okay, so now I'm going to try to tell that story, okay? Okay, can you guys hear me? Okay, 
So, so listen, this is the story like from the perspective of my son. I was in this giant bubble, and I was like floating around this warm, like liquid fluid, and I was just kind of hanging out, you know, in my bubble. And it's really dark in here. I can't really see anything at all. But you know, I can hear, and I would hear sounds like coming from the outside of the bubble, and it would sound like So anyway, this was my existence in the bubble, just kind of floating. Hey, taking a nap, waking up again, floating. And then one day when I was innocently just floating around, suddenly my bubble started to get smaller and it started to tighten up and it was like squeezing me. And I had never experienced this before. It was totally new. And so I just, you know what I did? I just said, you know something? I could fight it but I think I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to go with it. And I just went out with it. And then suddenly the, the bubble was squeezing me out. And it was squeezing me out. And then all of a sudden, I, the world filled with color. And there were people. And there was, there was sound. And there was music. And I was like, I've never seen anything like this before. It was, it was amazing. And there was the color and sound. And like, woohoo! And I, I was brought into this whole new existence. All right, all right, that's the right story. Okay, now let me ask the question again. When Jesus says, you must be born again, what did he mean? Well, if you're born again, that means you are spiritually remade. You are brought into this whole new existence. Before it was all dark, now it's all color. Before it was like, rah, 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 and now it's clear. You see God in ways you hadn't seen before. You have a renewed purpose. You wake up every morning and it's new. You have a new heart, new values. You start loving in ways you never knew you could love. And it, it sounds so ridiculous when you were like in the bubble, but now you live for the glory of God because you've been spiritually remade. And the secondary point is when that baby is in that bubble, what's the baby's role? Well, you just go with it. You are not in control. When you are reborn, it's something you experience and receive. It's not something you control and achieve. You are spiritually and supernaturally remade. You know what this means? That this means that you are a supernatural work of God. And your life is not ordinary. No way. It is powered from heaven. That's the life that you live if you are a believer. Now, if you're here today and all this stuff is just like, what? And you feel like, uh, I don't really get it. I still don't get it. Like, why are people so excited about Jesus? I, I'm still not getting it. May I humbly propose that the number one thing you need is to be spiritually remade from heaven. Because once God births you, then it goes from black and white to color. If you're here today and you have a loved one, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's parents, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your roommate, 
and someone you love doesn't know Jesus, and you've done everything you reasonably can, but they're just not getting it. I would propose that the number one thing that they need is what Jesus is talking about. They need to be spiritually remade. And that's not a power that comes from you. But you know what you can do? You can ask for it. In fact, you can ask for it every day. You can ask for it every day until God does something because clearly God has to do it. You can have the most clever story or the most clever argument and you're like, man, that should have worked. And it didn't work. Why? Well, that person needs a power that you don't have. God has that power. What you can do is ask God for it every day. You know, my mother-in-law prayed for her husband every day to come to know Jesus. Every day. Well, I'm sorry, not every day, but, but on a regular basis she prayed. She was a godly woman, prayed on a regular basis for her husband. Now, her husband at the time was a very strong atheist. Wasn't neutral towards uh, the faith. He was against it. And, and, and my mother-in-law, it's not like she was trying to persuade him, although he was trying to talk her out of her faith. And it's not like he, she made him watch videos or gave him arguments. You know what she did? She prayed and she prayed and she said, God, do it, do it. It's got to be done by you. Well, one day, after seven years of not believing, she asks him to deliver a box full of tracks to a friend. So he says, okay, I'll do it. And he takes the box, and he's like, oh, I'm just kind of curious what one of these tracks says. He opens the track, reads the track. And at the end of the track is this prayer of salvation. And, you know, he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray that prayer. And then I'm going to go home to my wife and say, hey, I prayed the prayer. And she's going to get excited, and I'm going to say, and it didn't work. So he prayed the prayer. And a light went on. And he was like, I actually believe. <laughs> and he was born again at that moment, and he has not stopped believing. That man who was against the faith Became a godly man, became a chairman of the board at his church, a part-time missionary. It's got to be done by God. And you can pray and ask God to do it. There are people here today, and you're caught up in some sort of addiction. And you've been trying to fight it. You've been trying to fight it, but you've been trying to fight with your own resources there are people here today, and there's someone in your life very, very difficult to love. And you've been, trying to, you've been trying to love this person. You've been trying, and you just feel like it's going nowhere. There, there are people here today, and you feel like so stressed out by your work or by your life or by your parents or by your school. And there's places where you just don't feel in control. The answer is not try harder. The answer is lean harder on the supernatural power of God. If you're not doing it now, it's, you're not supposed to do it now by your own resources. You're supposed to do it by the resources that only God can provide. Who supernaturally remakes a person? God does. So lean harder on the supernatural power of God. I've asked Quest if he would um, share his testimony 
of how he has been born again. And uh, Quest said that he would do it. I don't know if you guys remember. Quest, that, that's your cue to come up here. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but two and a half years ago, Quest was baptized and he shared his story. And today he's going to share part two, if you will. Okay, so here is Quest. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Um, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Today I want to talk about being um, spiritually uh, born again, about how discovering God's love has made me a new person. It's kind of funny that um, this past week Andrew called me to talk about um, how I've you know, been changed to live radically, because my answer to him at the time was, Andrew, I don't, I don't think I'm qualified to talk about this. I don't think I'm really living too radically, and definitely not to the extent that David Platt talks about in his book. As I reflected, though, I think I'm reminded of an anecdote that um, I recently shared with our home group. And it's, it's about Mother Teresa and a story. This is a story from her perspective, and this is how it goes. A very wealthy Hindu lady came to me once and asked me, like, can I share in your mission? And this woman, she had one weakness, and it was this, uh, this, this woman's weakness was elegant saris. Um, and indeed, like, the sari that the woman was, was wearing was 800 rupees. And the, the, the sari that Mother Teresa was wearing was only 8 rupees. So the, this woman's uh, sari was 100 times more. So it occurred to me to tell this woman that, um, you know, change would start with the rupees, uh, with the saris, and that next time you go buy a sari, try to buy one that costs 500, take the 300, give it to the poor. And the good woman did just this, and now she wears 100 uh, rupee saris, and she has confessed to me that this has changed her life. And I think um, the point of this story in my testimony is that Sometimes change doesn't necessarily occur instantaneously, and a lot of times it happens in very incremental steps. So with this in mind, I realized that God has made some very incremental changes in my life, but, and they are uh, very personally significant to me. So a little bit about who I was before coming to faith. Um, I grew up in a non-Christian household, and I think... Kind of who I was, I had very few close friends, and most of my time was being spent on like my own individual pursuits. Um, I didn't really know what it meant to be part of a community, let alone like invest in other people. And like my main goal in life was to make a boatload of money, uh, buy a big house, make more money, and then tear down the old house and build a bigger one. Um, I didn't really know what why or like what I would do with all that money, but. I just knew I wanted it because it would make life easy. And I think that's really what I wanted, just like a nice, easy life. And, you know, I was blind, but I think now I see a little better. So David Platt calls us to join a multiplicative community. And two years ago, Jared and I were asked to try starting a home group here at CLC. Um, I think at the time, to be honest, uh, and you can ask Jared, as well, I think we were both, you know, not too into it. Um, 
Neither of us are really natural, um, outspoken, or charismatic leaders. And I think at the time, there was barely anyone interested in coming. Like, maybe Johnny and Michelle, but they, were, they had a ton of other commitments. So um, we definitely uh, were really hesitant to, to try it. Um, but today, um, it's amazing because like, we, even, we even gave ourselves a name. Um, we call ourselves the Yaggers from Daniel, uh, with a Y-A-G that stands for like young adult group. And it's, it's amazing because we have like almost 20 members today. And I think I'm still not great at investing in other people, but uh, something that God has changed in my heart is that um, every Thursday before home group, I feel like this sense of joy and excitement to uh, you know, join this, this group of people. Um, and yeah, I think I just want to praise God for that. And um, I'm able to tell my coworkers when I leave work on Thursdays, I go join and participate in a Bible study. So speaking of work, like career and job is another aspect of my life that has, that I feel has been touched by God recently. Um, earlier last year, I joined a company called LendUp and the entire mission of our company is to provide like credit education courses and financial products specifically for the poor so that they don't have to resort to predatory lenders. And I think at the time when I was like looking for jobs, um, you know, I was looking into other companies that, you know, perhaps had a lot more pay or benefits, but, you know, because God saved a wretch like me, I think I ended up where I am. And um, it's funny how things work out in God's plan because uh, he's also placed like a couple of like really close Christian brothers uh, at the same company and we've even started like a prayer group. So it's really amazing to me how an area of my life work that was once so lacking in God's presence is now like completely focused on glorifying him. And then the last area I want to talk about in my life that I think, you know, is changing God is continuing to change is around money. Um, so, you know, I grew up in a non-Christian household. I think the idea of giving, the idea of charity is just completely uh, foreign to me. And not just because of my family, but like my friends, my friends' families. I didn't see it much in, on the media or on the internet. I think even today, like when I tell my coworkers, it's, it's something like kind of unheard of or just not, not normal. And even today, like, that's kind of why it still is a struggle for me to, to think about this idea of giving. Second um, Corinthians 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ gave up the richness of life for me, and yet it's still a struggle for me to give some dollars. It's still, like, even today, I think it's still a big struggle for me to uh, give money. It's still uncomfortable. It's still really foreign. But, you know, as of last year, I, like, I started trying this thing where you take, like, monthly automatic debits from your account. And, like, even that, like, a small step, incremental step, like, has changed my life. And uh, today, um, I'm still a wretch. But the difference is, like, I'm a saved wretch. And I fully committed to accepting and following Jesus Christ in all aspects of my life. And I think, like, even though, you know, Andrew, I'm 
I don't think I'm still living radically yet, but I think I look back at some of the changes that God has been making in my life. I can't help but feel excited for what he has in store for me next. Thank you. I'd like to make one final point, if I can. The Bible says that our greatest problem is the problem of sin. Nasty, nasty problem. Everything that's negative or corrosive or failing in our planet is due to this problem, which is the problem of sin. Now listen, we don't have any solutions on our own resources. We just don't. We need someone to go in labor for us. Absolutely. Now let me ask you, when a baby is born, who does all the work? Not the baby. Who does all the work? The mom does all the work. When a person is saved, who does all the work? Who does all the work? It's not you. (laughs) It's God who does the work. And what do you do? You go along with it in faith. Now, you say, okay, when did God do all the work to get us saved? Jesus did it on the cross. A woman says that childbirth is like getting stabbed in the stomach. You remember that? Jesus actually got stabbed in his side by a spear. A woman says giving birth is the worst pain in her life. Jesus went through the worst pain of his life. No one has ever gone through greater pain than what Jesus went through. Why did he go through that? To pay for the penalty of our sin. A woman says that giving birth is the most intense pain because it feels like I'm dying to give life. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He died to give you life. So you could be spiritually remade. He suffered through agony, internal torture, but it was all worth it to him so that you could be born again. What an amazing, amazing God we have. And that's the last thought of this message. If you would stand now, we're going to just invite Bino and Eileen. We're just going to do a little bit of responsive prayer, okay? Uh, The scripture makes it very clear that we can't control when God does this. Either the the one time that sets your life in a new direction or the repeated feelings that you need in every chapter of life. We're not in control, but you know something? We can ask and we can be ready to experience and we can be ready to receive when he says it's time. So why don't we actually have some time to ask together? Now, I just want to... Um, invite people who feel like they're caught in old religion, if you would just respond in your heart and just say, that's me, I just want to pray for you for, for a moment, okay? Father, there are probably people in our church who feel like they're just caught up in old religion. And what they really need is not to try harder. They need to be spiritually, supernaturally remade. So I'm just going to partner along with them and say, God, would you do it? We can't do it by ourselves. Would you do it? Would you do something supernatural in our lives so our whole lives can be set 
a new course in a new direction that's totally sold out for your glory. We need your help. I know that some people feel like there's an area of your life where you just feel like there's not the breakthrough that you want to see. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, there's someone that's really hard to love. Maybe it's work where you just feel stressed out. And if that's you, I just want you to respond with me in prayer and say, God, I know the answer is not try harder. The answer is to lean harder on your supernatural power. I'm not making it in this area by myself. I need your strength. I need your supernatural power. I need your spirit to give me life in a new way because I can't do it by myself. Help me, God, help me. And I know that there are people here, you have a loved one, and you've been trying to share Christ with them, but it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And through this message of Christ, you feel like, I'm convinced what they need more than anything is to be spiritually remade by God. They need a filling of God's spirit for the first time. Because the kingdom of God is not just talk, but it's power. And so would you just pray with me if that's you and you know someone in this condition. Oh Lord, this person that we love, they need your power. I know that when they experience your life and your goodness, it's not just talk anymore. It's power. Please, please Lord, help this person that we love to be spiritually remade, to be supernaturally rebirthed by your power, by your power Lord.